0: Listeners, start your engines. Detours episode 63 Rob here on this episode we're back with the X-Men movie franchise moving along from the first episode we did the original trilogy we did the X-Men prequel X-Men Origins Wolverine we are now moving into the reboot slash prequel and we'll get into exactly why it's kind of both X-Men First Class from 2011 we're joined by Kevin the Critic for this episode as always, you can find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and other podcatchers, as well as CookedTable.com. Go ahead and give us a rating review wherever you're listening to this episode. For now, let's listen to a little bit of the trailer, and then jump into our conversation about 2011's X-Men First Class.
1: Name's Xavier. Channel's Xavier. How do you do? Cheers. So much more to you than you know. Not just pain in anger. There's good in you too. And when you can harness all that, you'll possess a power
0: no one can match. Not even me. Tomorrow, mankind will know that
1: mutants exist. You ready for this? Let's find out. Listen to me very carefully, my friend. Killing will not bring you peace. Peace was never an option.
0: Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. On this episode, we're moving into the fifth, I have to do math now, uh, the fifth X-Men movie in our X-Men mega series discussing 2011's X-Men First Class. And I'm honored to welcome back to the show, Kevin Thomas, a.k.a. Kevin the Critic. Welcome to the
1: show. Thank you for having me back. I'm sure this will go excellently
0: so last time we had you on here, we were talking uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so different kind of mutant. I uh, yep. I didn't necessarily I a... plan to have so many mutant <laughs> franchises because I, I'd forgotten that the Planet of the Apes movies had a whole mutant subsection
1: oh in those boy. films.
0: So we went from Ninja Turtles mutants uh, to Planet of the Apes mutants to... The mutants of the Marvel uh, Marvel oh, comics
1: world. So. I yeah I and the thing is like I didn't know that the eight movies had mutants in them. Yeah. So like I so I I had originally planned to like blurb about all of them and then I did the first one and I loved it and then I did the second one and I was like, well we got we got mutants underground now and they got an atomic bomb <laughs> and the, wait what is this. Like after the atomic bomb went off, I was like, I'm going to take a an extended hiatus from this series because yeah. I don't know how nuts it's going to get. And I need to be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. I, still haven't go- I still haven't gone back to it since then. I I swear I will just <laughs> I need to be in the right mood for whatever insanity it, it has cooked up after that.
0: Yeah, Planet of the Apes, one of the most consistently downbeat of the, these like, major oh Hollywood God. movie franchises, I think. Every oh every God. installment, <laughs> just like, such a bummer of an ending. What well, you saw with Beneath, where they're like, then know, the world, yeah. you know, blew just up. blew up. And then like, and in, in and day, like, a, oh, one little blue planet was gone. Well, the and whole then, credits.
1: Then, and then the thing, like, I remember going to see, I went to go see Rise and Dawn in theaters, Yeah, and and I remember like Rise was one of my favorite movies of 2011, and then I would go to see Dawn three years later, and I come out of it going like, "Man, that was so depressing, man!" Like, Mm -hmm. what are we? It was fun last time, kind of. Yeah, and and (laughs) like so, I've I've since grown to enjoy that movie. Like my my original review and my thoughts do not stand. Like I was kind of, yeah, I like Dawn now, and then I've. I've seen War, I think, once all the way through, where I was like, that's a good movie, but my God, like, why so down? Like, I, Yeah, it's kind I get, of a rough like, watch for that. Well, reason, I, yeah. I get, I'm, I get, like, it's effective, but it's like to go from Rise, where you've got, like, bright colors and humor, it, it's like, I, I, a part of me will always wish we could have seen what oh man the guy's name is me what the director of the first one would have done if he had stayed on to direct the other two of them. I, mean, I, I like what Matt Reeves did with those, right. but it's like, what would they have been like if the other guy had stayed?
0: Yeah, I don't know. Rupert Wyatt. I was trying to Rupert Wyatt. His, it, the director's yeah.
1: name Yeah. Right. Rupert Wyatt.
0: Ah. <sighs> Alas. Um, so tell people who didn't listen to our last episode a little bit about who you are and uh, everything you have going on in the world.
1: Okay. So I am I am Kevin the Critic. I've been writing film reviews since I was 10 years old. In 2015, I started uploading them to a blog, com. Where, and now I manage uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and I'm slowly but surely getting into threads. The, the, the new thing that popped up a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I, I will talk about almost anything. I love discussing all kinds of movies and, you know, superhero and specifically a big superhero guy with the X-Men being probably um, the X-Men franchise as a whole is among, like, I'd rank it a little bit. I'd rank it pretty highly yeah. overall. I like, the, I like these because they feel like a lot of superhero movies that are coming out right now, they feel like... I like kids' movies, but a lot of these superhero things that are coming out, I have to like, get my brain to the level of I'm watching a kid's movie to, under, to enjoy them. Mm-hmm. And with the X-Men movies, I don't have to do that. Like Even the ones that aren't as high quality to me, they still feel like they were made by adults, largely for adults to watch, like teens and adults to watch, yeah. not like 10-year-old kids. And so, especially like as more and more of these have come out, the X-Men's look brighter and brighter to me, even with their flaws. I'm like, yeah, these are actually trying to be like about adult topics and look at things more seriously and not, you know they're not overly concerned with like continuity or extended universing stuff. It's like these are just kind of character movies with with action and mostly solid stories going on. And I I appreciate that. I wonder
0: if a lot of that approach has to do with you know with all the, the thematic subtext That these are like, at their heart, movies about real issues and you know discrimination and uh, you know civil rights in some way or another. Uh, I I think that might be part of why it's like it's hard to make those themes wholly accessible to kids. And like, well, we're gonna sell toys now, Uh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) because I I think that that might be a little bit part. That's definitely part of the appeal of this of this uh, property. Uh, So that Mm -hmm. might be part of why the movies are approached that way too.
1: Yeah, I mean like everybody like every every director who has every director who's come out of this franchise and this and there have been a, several, they've I think they've all in some way or another been able to latch on to the whole idea of these mutants being stand-ins for any given group that society is afraid of or doesn't understand. Mm-hmm. And the and a lot of the movies do a decent to good job of kind of milking that and putting that parallel there while still having it function as just a story. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what I like a lot about this one. Cause this, cause this one first class to me, it's about like, it's about finding community, finding other people who are like you, and kind of taking joy in that, and you know, sharing in, share, sharing in like the pain of okay, we're we're different, but we're going to stand together against Absolutely. against others who fear us, and it's also about like, it's also about how much are how much our lived experiences shape us into who we are and how we feel about the world around us.
0: I'm curious, what was your introduction to these characters? Was it the movies, the comics, the, the animated series? Okay, or?
1: My, my introduction to this was the first X-Men movie from okay. 2000. So obviously like I was seven when this came out, so I didn't go to see it in the theater, but they, they played it on FX all the time, like back in the early 2000s. So I would record it. They played all three of those, they played the entire trilogy on FX endlessly like that and Spider-Man two and three, they would not stop playing those. So like they, so yeah, I would, I recorded the X, yeah. X-Men, the first movie was my, probably my first exposure to them. And I watched it a lot and like how violent that movie is didn't, really register with me i guess i was like i guess it or like any like the the themes of it like they didn't register with me like i was always like all right just sit through the part where they're talking at this court hearing thing and where the girl kisses her boyfriend and he gets a weird thing on his face and then wolverine's gonna stab somebody and then i remember like my mom came in my mom came into the room at one point and she starts watching with me and she's like is really really violent kevin and i'm like yeah but it's awesome (laughs) and then you know as i got older yeah as i got older i you know i obviously started grasping like what these like what the themes are and then in like my later teens i got into like all right this is what they are symbolic of this is what they're trying to say. Just You know, you get older yeah. and you learn how to read subtext in things. Like when I was a kid, that whole bit next to where they go to Bobby Drake's house and his parents are like, have you tried not being a mutant thing? I yeah. was like, as a kid, you're like, oh, so they mean, have you tried not being like a mutant? And if you're an adult, you're like, okay, well, that means something else. Right. And, or it can mean something else if you choose to read it like that and i think that the i think that those first two movies especially and even the third one to an extent they all it, it, everybody said this but like the the x men movies of the early 2000s were kind of specifically tailored to be about the lgbt community like in terms of the subtext of them right to the and like everybody said that but like i think it's especially with the third one where you're like, we've developed a cure for mutants and just how loaded that is.
0: Absolutely. It's
1: like, and yeah, like, and to be, to be clear, like why these resonate with me is like, I am on the autism spectrum. And so that, that's depending on the severity of it, like it can be, you know, like different people are affected very differently by it. And so the X-Men movies, as I've gotten older, I've viewed, I've shown, like, autistic people are not, like, oppressed or hated, but they are misunderstood by some of the public.
0: Mm -hmm. And
1: the, the way that these things are written sometimes and just the way the dialogue is between them, that this, like, to me the mutants stand in for like people on the autism spectrum and just like trying to find a place here and like finding community with each other and just trying to make the world understand like, no, we're very, very similar to you. We're just a little bit different.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. Um, I think what else is the other thing you mentioned about how the first one came out in 2000, this franchise is uniquely positioned because it runs like 20 years essentially from Mm -hmm. uh, literally from the first one to new mutants and, and beyond. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Basically 20 years, like solid. Uh, So it goes from three years after Batman and Robin pre Nolan (laughs) and everything through the MCU and the emergence of the DCU and the whole, like you said, the advent of the shared universe. Yeah. Uh, reboots and like so it it can, it contains multitudes all of that is you the can see kind of evolving. you can see it like marked <laughs> in the movie i think like you're talking about x men origins wolverine like it you can see watching that oh you're where you, it that it's the first one to come out post Iron Man.
1: Yeah. Where they're like, like,
0: "Hey, we're teasing other stuff coming." Well, they're all connected. Professor X
1: like, it's like, "Yeah." And, and oh yeah, we're going to try and put in all these like really cheesy, you know, these little cheesy, comic-y jokes. Yeah. That these like these like these movies are funny, but they were never like very rarely were they like really goofy in their humor. Yeah. Like the only I think the only goofy thing that I can remember the only goofy things I can remember are like, um, in X-Men you've got this, I know this line is so bad, but I love how dumb it is. Like what happens to a toad struck by lightning thing. (laughs) I love how stupid that line is. It's like, I'm happy this is here to just be (laughs) so dumb. And then the other thing is like X-Men three has the iconic line. I'm the juggernaut. It's like, yes, this is a series. This is a film about very serious issues. Now enjoy the large (laughs) football player bushing through walls, chasing Elliot page as she tries to save a child.
0: Yeah.
1: Or as he tries to save a child. Right. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, no, I know, I know it's crazy. Uh, because so, like you have that original trilogy, then you had Wolverine trying to be trying to be the spin-off thing. So I don't know how much of the how much of the history of this movie are you aware of because um I
1: yeah, I am I am familiar with I am familiar with it to a degree. Yeah. Like so I know that like after X-Men Origins Wolverine comes out and just kinda is, they they this was a, they originally planned to make an X-Men Origins Magneto movie right. following exactly. that. And they had somebody like write a script treatment for it or something, and then they decided to can that and then transfer elements of that script into this one, which is which I'm guessing like all of the magneto stuff in the beginning of it. I'm guessing that's where most of the origins material was,
0: yeah, it's pretty easy to see once you know that this was. Kind of this kind of evolved from X Men Origins Magneto that that's the case because it opens basically with oh Magneto, my God, the same it thing. ends with Magneto, it's well, like his arc kind of that we're following throughout. The,
1: yeah, it's funny, like James McAvoy is a first build lead in here, but I'm like, this is kind of Magneto's story, and all about 100%. Is. This is Magneto's story, and it's all about like it's. It's all about getting us to really understand his side of it because by this point, I think by this point in the series, as good as Ian McKellen's performance was in all three films, you get to movie number three. And because of the way it's written, I think that he starts, the character starts to become a bit more exaggerated to a point where you can't take him as seriously anymore. And this one was about kind of like okay, yes, we have this like homicidal guy, but let's actually get into why does he feel this way? How did he get to this point? And by the end of it, we're going to have you rooting for him in a sadistic kind of way. <laughs> no, the,
0: the fact that this oh the opening of this film is restages the whole concentration the camp is the genius. Death. Like when I well, went to see this in theaters the first time, oh, I yeah. was yeah. Like, Oh, they're bringing that back. That's oh, so awesome. yeah, like That's oh yeah, so I remember.
1: Oh yeah, I remember when I went to go see this too. Because again, I've seen the original X Men so many times by this point. Yeah, and I'm sitting there going, "Oh my god, they opened it the same way. That's so cool. Wow." And then you know, I really like how they how they expand on that. Like you know, we see we see him being. Not tortured, but like just manipulated by evil Kevin Bacon, who's just like, when you need a villain, just call Kevin Bacon to come yeah, in. Yeah, he he got you. Yeah, he's got <laughs> like, you covered. They like, apparently, so they wanted Colin Firth for this originally, and then they went with Kevin Bacon instead because he was more intimidating. One of the best decisions of the movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can see too that that makes sense because Matthew Vaughn after this did Kingsman with Colin mm-hmm. Firth. So he clearly really wanted to work with Colin Firth on some yeah. kind of comic book property and uh,
1: he got his <laughs> wish eventually. In thing, so like in the early scenes, especially, I was trying to imagine like how would Colin Firth have played this? And then I was like, wait, I've seen Colin Firth play a villain in Mary Poppins Returns. I don't <laughs> think I want to see him playing this
0: character. No, I think Sebastian Shaw needs that sort of, Kind well, of scumminess that that Kevin Bacon can bring well, to it,
1: and the other and the other thing about and the, and the other thing about Kevin Bacon is like he like he's playing a Nazi here, yeah. And I think Kevin Bacon and for the for the good of the role, Kevin Bacon is a white, blond-haired, blue-eyed man, yeah. He can be a total scumbag, and so when you look at him and how he delivers every line in here, it's like, oh yeah, no, he disappears into it instantly like he's perfectly suited for this character.
0: Yeah, the way that that uh that he shifts in the the opening scene when he kills Eric's mother and then mm-hmm. he rages out and destroys everything and he goes from just like dead seriousness to just like such uh such glee, I thought yeah, yeah it's, that's, it's, that's he's that's, great in this. <laughs> it's it, it's also the it, it makes sense that this movie would open the way it does because it's really the first X-Men movie that that directly entrenches itself in actual history where we have the Cuban yes. Missile Crisis and JFK and all that other stuff going on in, in the third act. So I think it's it's interesting that they use the that, that uh, World War II flashback to sort of set things up, but it also muddies the water, I think, in some ways because I don't know about you, but when this came out, and I did research on this, it, it seems like Matthew Vaughn's talking about it like, like it's a reboot. Like, he's like, oh, well, you know yeah, My main saw- rule was to just start a whole new X-Men yeah, franchise. And I,
1: I saw that. Too. I was looking up some stuff about this earlier this week, and I saw that, too, where I was like, okay, so he's thinking, I think it was something like, we're not, like, we're going to ignore certain plot points of X-Men 3 here to just do our own thing and hopefully spin this off and do its own new series. And that, it. It kind of picks and chooses things. It definitely picks and chooses things from the preceding films. Like I think you can see, I think you can see little moments where James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender are channeling Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen a little bit in how they play these guys, while still making them their own distinct characters like these are not, these are not the men that we know from the original movies. They are in their infancy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's, I mean, uh, it's, I think what happened was it was intended as a, as a soft reboot keeping, yeah, you was. know, Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Romaine has a cameo in
1: this. I, lo- I Obviously, love, that. I I do too. I <laughs> um, was like, I, <laughs> that's going to be the easiest money she's ever earned. Just, just lie sure. in this just to show up, lie in this bed for five seconds. She has like one line of dialogue. Uh, (laughs) yeah, I think that, I think that's dubbed over by Jennifer Lawrence even. It might be. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it is. I listened to it. I was like, wait, she doesn't sound like that. That sounds like Jennifer Lawrence dubbing over (laughs) her. like, if I'm wrong, then sorry, but I I thought it was a (laughs) dub. It
0: could be, it could be. Um, and then uh, you know some of the iconography from the previous movies, the chess, the cerebro yeah. is designed and 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 uh, <laughs> sort of visualized the same. But I, I it's it's funny because what happened and this is what really created the like solidified the great X Men timeline paradox of these movies <laughs> is that the first three are pretty straightforward, like an original trilogy, X Men yeah. Origins kind of tries to fit it in that at least a little bit where he loses his memory with the yeah. the bullshit that is the adamantium bullet, oh, which I hate God, so that, much.
1: I just, that. Yeah. Even. It's that, just lazy. That, that's just so like, wait, you had this the whole time when he's in our lab and you didn't think to use it then. Right. <laughs> um, but then this one,
0: like you were saying earlier, like, it's it does it makes no effort to link up to those because it wasn't supposed to link up to those. No, it was just I mean, doing its own thing and starting. And, you know, in the '60s when the comics started, and um, I
1: and I love I love it for doing its own thing. Like, so this like you've had, at this point you've had like so putting X Men Origins aside, you've had two movies directed by Brian Singer, one directed by Brett Ratner, who is like, and they've done they've done a decent job like keeping up the things. Matthew yeah. Vaughn comes in on this, who has his own distinct approach to comic book things. Where it's like Definitely. that's what I like about him. It's like I you know, like this is like post-kick-ass, I think. So, yeah, he's right a after. Name, so he's a name in this genre now. And what I what I like about him for what I really like about him for this is that I I love the fact that he I, that he seems to have like a genuine affection for these characters and doesn't lean he doesn't do a ton of the like goofy winks or nods. Mm-hmm. It's like haha, look at how silly their costumes are. these names are dumb or like he just seems to be like no these are char- these are characters these are human beings who have superpowers. We're gonna take them mostly seriously, and we're gonna have fun like right. this is the most fun and lightest toned out of the X-Men movies to me. And I, I really appreciate for that.
0: It's also Matthew Vaughn has, first of all, it's, it's remarkable. This movie is as good as it is considering he came on way late to this. Oh, he was oh, supposed yeah. to do last stand and then, and then that, left that, that and then that had like eight months or something like less than a year yeah. to pull this oh, thing yeah. together, which is crazy.
1: Yeah. I, I found that out. I found that out a couple of years ago. I was like, he had eight months to pull this together and this is what you came up with. I mean, that's a that's a superpower in itself. Yeah. It's like, okay, so we okay, so we've had like two movies in our franchise that didn't do very good and we're desperate to keep it going. Hey, you random guy who did R-rated comic book niche movie, can you come over here and like put a life preserver on this? <laughs> and then what
0: sucks is that he was supposed to do Days of Future Past, and oh. they're like, no, no, Brian Singer wants back. Get out of here. Well, which is, is terrible. terrible. <laughs> like, well, is it is like, well,
1: It's just like, and like he he said no, this to go do Kingsman. So we got yeah. something great. So we got something great out of that. But it was yeah. like, but it was like, but yeah, like I remember when I heard Brian Singer was coming back. And again, as a fan of the original trilogy, I was kind of like. Okay, that's cool. But I really liked what we were doing over here. Like, <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, like I like the yellow and blue or black, depending on what how the lighting is in the different scenes. Like I like yeah. the costumes. I like the lighter tone. I like the humor he's infusing into this. I like the, I like the joy that's in this movie. That's just not in the other one.
0: Yeah. No, it's true. And then it did so well and was so well received that then they were like, okay, we're back to Brian Singer and uh. looping it back around to everybody else, to the other movies. Whoa. Which, you know, I, I enjoy that movie, but it's just, it's weird because this film, like you were saying, sets. Such a different path. It's it's essentially Matthew Vaughn doing an X Men movie. He's also got like a political thriller kind of happening there. Oh, yeah. It's the, also the, kind the, of a James Bond movie in a lot of the sensibility sort of. I and mean, style. Yeah,
1: yeah. Like it's it's got like a yeah. It's like it's definitely a political. It's definitely got like a political thriller aspect going on here. And it's and again, I I like the way that he approaches. I like the way that he approaches making this into a like, again, this a a story of these people finding each other and learning that they're not alone. It's like, again, like we don't, we, we see a little bit of the prejudice against mutants. Like there, there are two guys who are like, Hey, show me your powers or whatever. But it's like, yeah. Mutants aren't known to the public yet. And so this one is allowed to just kind of revel in these, these individuals learning that they're not the only ones like them on the planet. Yeah. And it, and it
0: recontextualizes the the dynamics between those characters. So it's, there's the mutant and proud thing, like you were saying, which oh, is sort yeah, of that. them owning their, their identity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's a line that one of them says, so it's, I think it's Magneto to Mystique or something, where it's like, you want society to accept you, but you can't even yeah, accept yourself. I,
1: I, I thought or, that. Or maybe it's Mystique to, yeah, I no, forget no, no, how No, no no, it. no, no. Ma- Ma- Magneto says that to her because she's like, yeah. okay. she's practicing like lifting something up on her bed. That's and right. And she looks like herself. And she looks like Jennifer Lawrence. And then he's like, you need to accept yourself. And then she turns blue. And it's like, okay. So, yeah, by the way, I think Mystique really got buffed up in this. Like, Mm -hmm. if you look at, like, and the other thing about this is, as much as they say, as much as they said, we're not looking at plot points in X3 when making this, on this rewatch, I I thought, whether they knew it or not, so, like, without spoiling that one, like, something happens to Mystique in X3 and Mm -hmm. Magneto's relationship about the midway point of that, And the way that Magneto talks to her here and talks about his feelings for human beings, I think that makes total sense that he would do that. Like they did a really good job of keeping the characterization between Fassbender and McKellen very consistent. I'm so glad you said that on,
0: on the last stand episode, I made that exact point. Like Magneto is, is probably the most consistently portrayed in all of these movies, I'd say.
1: Yeah. And again, like apparently Michael Fassbender, he apparently like went back and studied Ian McKellen's performance a little bit for this, as did Nicholas Holt study like Kelsey Grammer for Beast. And I think you can see that like they're, they feel a, a lot like younger versions of those guys. And again, uh, James McAvoy is Charles Xavier. It's like, yep, this is a younger Professor X who has not. He's not matured yet. He's, you know, using his powers to pick up co-eds. <laughs> 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 like, I'll be like, when I saw that, in the field, I was like, yes, Professor X had like a wild side at one point in his life. That's so, okay. it was just like, it was a fun side to see to him, of like, he starts here and then he grows. Like, I think with the prequel, that's what you want to with a prequel for me, like that's what I want to see where it's like, look, show me how a character went from one extreme to the other. Like, right. yeah. I don't want cause like, at the beginning of this, you're like, this guy's going to lead the, the mutant. This guy's going to, this guy couldn't lead a, this guy couldn't lead a school, let alone a bar crawl. Like, what are you, what is he doing? <laughs> like, I mean, he's smart, but he's not like, he's not authoritative. And then, he learns how important his role can be in helping these other, these other people and matures sure as the result of that. And it's, it does the,
0: it's funny because it, it's, it strikes that perfect balance for, you know, all these people, prequels I'm going to pick on solo for a second. (laughs) Solo is just like, it's a Wikipedia page to come to life where it's like how he got his name, how he got his gun, how he met Chewie, how he got the ship. And we like, yeah, we get it. You're just explaining everything about, and this movie does a a lot of those things. Like how Mm. professor X, you know, lost his his ability to walk. He becomes a professor. They build Cerebro, but like, you know, the, the, the hellfire club is essentially the, the proto, brotherhood of mutants, all of that, but it's balanced because it's focusing more on the characters than all the, like
1: the the trappings
0: that came to define them. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. Like all of the, like for a summer blockbuster movie, this is remarkably focused on characters, having conversations about their ideologies with each other characters talking about like, where do we fit in? How do we fit in here? Like, I'm hell-bent on, no, we need to learn how to live, how to coexist peacefully with humans. No, I've seen humanity's worst. I don't want to live with them in peace. It's like, there's a lot of talking and establishing of motivations here throughout, which makes the action scenes better because we understand where everybody stands and why they stand there.
0: Exactly, and if we didn't have, it, it, it's it's recognizes that the foundation for this entire franchise is that relationship with Xavier and uh, and Magneto. Yeah, like, that's the that's the foundation for everything. That's where you get the good mutant, the air quote good mutant, and the air quote bad mutants. And the, this movie does is it position and this this franchise, this the prequels, I guess this one and the next couple is it positions Mag, uh, Mystique. As sort of the the fulcrum on that on that pendulum that is uh you know Charles Xavier and Eric Lenscher. And I think that's a really interesting way to put those characters into a a context that
1: we'd never seen them before. Well, yeah, and then like again, like on Mystique here, like if you look at if somebody told you we're gonna do an origin movie where Mystique and Charles Xavier were really close, like almost like family, you would be like, why and you only have the original movies like why would you do that? Right. and then the way the way they do it here it's like oh well he was the first mutant that she found like her again like I love the way it opens where like they find each other there's that mm-hmm. moment of wonder of like I'm not the only one right and then they're really they're really close and then a few minutes late after that mystique says something I can't remember what the line is it's something like you know only the it's like you know you have an invisible mutation I can't I can't hide mine. You know, so we so we get that she is she's not comfortable in her own skin really at all. And mm. she's jealous of the fact that Charles can pass as like a regular guy. And so when Magneto comes in, or Eric at this point comes in and starts telling her like, no, you can be all of yourself. It makes sense why she starts to fall under his sway a little bit, right?
0: That's where we get the very meme and gifable moment of where he says perfection. Oh um, my god! Like, <laughs> which that, is given every context imaginable now, uh, thanks to the so, internet.
1: <laughs> it's so funny. Like, cause, cause like I, I I posted that I was watching this and I was looking at like what gifts to use, and the gifts on this movie on the it's internet, all of that the most, one. it's like. Well, no, it's not like it's just random ones. Yeah. So it's like, why is that a gift moment? But yeah, like the, the perfection thing, that that's one of the moments where the movie is kind of doing like that cutesy um yeah. name. It's like, you should be dang neato. Or, or no, that's that's not it. No, it's sorry. He says he says exceptional <laughs> dryly after that. But it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, the perfection moment is like. yeah i've seen that meme so many times i know funny whatever i see see it in the context now um but yeah i think but again i think that as you said like the foundation of this is their relationship and i think the reason why again why it works really well is because we see how different their upbringings are like you know Charles Xavier grew up in a really nice house in a presumably good neighborhood and nobody gave him any trouble about his powers. And Eric grew up in a concentration camp where he was forced to weaponize his anger and pain to learn how to use it. Like anger is all that he knows. And so it's like, so yeah, like, it's just really good. It's just really good, like comparing and contrasting, like where these two men are and thinking about like where they could have been. Had they, had their paths been reversed a little bit or, we also get been switched
0: early on in the film, some of the Magneto on a, on a mission kind of scenes,
1: which I love oh, so yeah. much oh, that yeah, scene in great. the bar,
0: the, the Frankenstein's uh, but, monster scene.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's epic. Man, Franken, so Frankenstein, Frankenstein is my favorite, novel. So when mm-hmm. they name checked it, I was like, Mary Shelley's ghost is smiling right now. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, like, it's just so great. Cause like that's that's really what he is. Like he was yeah like he was he was taught to be this way. Like the way that he feels about like regular human beings is not that far removed from how the Nazis viewed people, they viewed less than them. It's was like, no, we are supreme. Why should we allow you to be here? It's like that, that ideology seeped into him and made him into a monster. Like, it's not his fault, but it's just, it's just the hand he was dealt, unfortunately.
0: Right. It's ironic that he ends up taking the helmet of the uh, Sebastian <laughs> yeah. Shaw, who is yeah. basically the guy he kind of became – uh, yeah just through his own experiences and how those have affected well, him and
1: yeah. yeah and i mean it's also one the, it's also a case of like you know you are what you think about and he's right. been thinking about nothing except for this man and how angry he is and he's never he hasn't properly dealt with this trauma that he endured and so he just got he became swallowed by it
0: it's i also found it interesting that we get to the, the final scene with uh, with him and Sebastian Shaw and the coin, which oh, is God, pretty the gruesome coin
1: thing, by the that, way. Yeah, that, that coin thing, is. like no, I remember like again, I saw us in the theater, that coin scene happens and my mom is going like uh ah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was it was pretty messed up for it was pretty messed up. Like I was like because I was like, they're gonna reincorporate that Actually, Cause I had totally forgotten about the coin by that point. yeah. And I was like, Oh, we're doing this. Oh yeah. He's, <laughs> this is actually kind of poetic and cool, but that's so messed up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, oh. it's
0: funny that, 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 why do you think that particular death killing Shaw? Why do you think that is the one that the movie sort of frames as making him irredeemable. Cause we've seen him kill a lot of people well, presumably up to that point.
1: I think the movie, I think the movie does that. I think the movie, I think the movie frames that one as that as like the irredeemable one, because he had because in that moment he can, he has an opportunity to, as Charles says, be the better man mm. and just defeat, De- defeat Shaw without murdering him. Like he completely has the opportunity. Shaw is frozen right there and he chooses to murder him. He chooses to put the coin through his head and then, hmm. you know, that's it. It's like you have now become the very thing you desired to stop. Yeah. And then he gives a little mini speech outside which I found to be, again, I don't agree with this guy's message or what he wants to do, but I get exactly where he's coming from. It's given a pretty compelling
0: argument in the moment, especially.
1: Well, yeah, because, like, everybody, yeah, and especially, like, everyone there is confused about, like, everyone there is confused about, okay, if we save the world, what are they going to think of us? They're still going to hate us. They're going to accept us. What? Like, it's mm. completely new ground for everyone. They don't know what the future holds. And so when Eric makes that speech about like we are like the more evolved person, spe- specifically for Mystique, it makes sense because she's wanted to feel like she belongs somewhere, and. Eric promises her that. And it and it's like it's kind of a heartbreaking thing because you know why she feels that way, but it's still like uh yeah. so tragic. All of this could have been avoided if they'd if they had just had more conversations and Charles had tried to reach him more. I mean it's just yeah, I the other angle of this, I think it's a really good tragedy. Yeah. As well as like a political thriller and an action movie and a like fun summer blockbuster. Oh, and by the way, this is actually a fun movie to watch. Yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> like like that thing, like so as heavy as all this stuff is, Matthew Vaughn knows how to like again just let things be light a little bit. Like I love the two montages that we get of them finding so people. Fun. It's like yeah, like that. Yeah, like I like all of the uh, all of the original X Men that they recruit early on. They're a fun group. Uh, some of them get used better than others. Definitely. Like, so every so like, I have to say one of the, one of the things this movie does where I'm kind of like, why did you do that? Is you introduce a character that where his ability is to adapt to anything. <laughs> and 10 minutes later, you, you have him unable to adapt to something. Right. Yeah. It's like, exactly. wait a minute. W- w- wait, wait a minute. Why did you even include that character? Like you, I get you need a sacrificial lamb, but why that dude? Like, right. Why not someone who you didn't establish could adapt to any environment or situation? That just it just feels like a bit of a rush job on that character. Like maybe that was probably the eight week thing. Like I, I think I read yeah. somewhere too that like Vaughn had wanted to do more with Emma Frost's character in some way, but he didn't have time. Like I don't know what that was, like what he intended to do with her. But she doesn't, she doesn't she do just a whole kinda, lot. She, she's just kind of here. Like Yeah. January Jones spends the majority of this movie walking around in whatever white clothing the costume <laughs> designer can find for her. It's like pretty I much. Like, I was like, wait, do you have anything that's not like Snow White? Like <laughs> seriously, your wardrobe is the most like consistent thing in this entire movie.
0: Yeah, she's she's also I I feel like pretty flat in this movie. To me, well, like if there's a yeah, weak the, performance like, here, it's yeah,
1: probably like, yeah, I agree. Um, like her, she's. I would say she's underwritten and January Jones doesn't doesn't help. She doesn't do much. Like uh, even like back when Mad Men was on when this was coming out, like in the early years of that, I I remember thinking like, man, January, like you have so many good actors and actresses on the show. And then January Jones is like, she's fine, but doesn't stand out that much. And this doesn't really, this doesn't give her a lot to do, but she doesn't, help like I think if you had a better actress in this it could have been a, a more memorable character but I forget she's in this movie every time I watch I'm like oh yeah she's a that's, part of this and then you realize why you forgot like oh yeah she's yeah, very yeah, forgettable. I I, 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 um, Like her. the only line that I remember from her is like when she says like a war implies both sides have an equal chance of winning that's a really right. good line it it's is like that's her only great line in the movie <laughs> Um, and then the other thing is, I feel like I feel like Rose Byrne is underutilized in here. Absolutely, yeah, Like I she's did. as Moira McTaggart, she's essentially. It's really the beginning of the movie, almost like it, it's jumping around between characters and plot points. But mm-hmm. it, when she's introduced, it almost feels like the movie could have been from her perspective. Like, okay, we're going to see the X-Men form through her eyes and her relationship with Charles. And then after, after Oliver of her comes in as like the government guy who's on their side, she's just kind of there to be like, okay, Charles, let, let's go. Let's go here. <laughs> yeah. Let, let's go yeah. there. Like she, like I no- I was noticing like there are, there are like several scenes in the not so like there are a few scenes in this movie where she's just standing in the crowd while other people talk. Right. And like you could write this character out of this scene and almost nothing about it would shift. It's sort of typical of this
0: franchise though too that almost all of them and this is obviously as we've been saying one of the better ones, almost all of them struggle to do to give to balance the ensemble. You know, and they're in the right yeah. way. I feel like there's a bunch of characters in the hellfire club and in the, the, this <laughs> early version of the X-Men that I feel like we barely know. Uh, like you mentioned Darwin, which obviously oh, Darwin. people have pointed Eddie, out.
1: Like, one, Eddie Gishegi is, is really good for the time he's yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, and people and pointed like, out he, the, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I feel like, so I saw that he was cast in Superman legacy as Mr. Terrific. And I'm like, Will Eddie Kathegi ever get to live through a comic book movie or franchise? Because <laughs> you killed him in Twilight New Moon. You killed him in this movie. Yeah. Like, if I'm him, I gotta be thinking they're just gonna hire me to kill me. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much.
0: <laughs> um, I think I guess Zoe Kravitz is probably the closest oh, one yeah, of Zoe, these oh supporting God, I, players that gets a you know an arc. I guess. Well, and that's like I
1: know. Yeah. So when Zoe Kravitz comes in, I was like oh my god, future Catwoman. Yeah, I know, I know, me too. It was so it's fun. Like, hey, I, I was like, is... hey! Um, yeah, I think Zoe Kravitz is good, Zoe Kravitz is good in here too. I mean, I think they're all good. Like, even uh, Caleb Landry Jones, who plays Banshee in here, Yeah, for whatever reason, I have not been a big fan of him in other movies I've seen him in. I, I don't know if it's a script or if it's him, but in here, mm-hmm. I think he's really good. Like, he, I think he's really good. And then again, like, the little bit that Travis is given, she's a stripper who's been, who's used to people looking at her weirdly. Right. But not for her powers. And so right. she's like, look, I'd rather just be accepted for my powers than have people ogle me because of them. Again, it's another kind of, it's another kind of sad thing that is, again, really rushed. Like she's in four scenes, I think. I don't, I don't know, but like she's not in it much.
0: No, and the thing that's also just kind of a bummer of all these characters is that then you get to the next one and they're pretty much all dead.
1: Except for Havoc. Havoc hangs out for a bit. Havoc. <laughs> Havoc. And by the way, like, oh my god, like yeah, I remember again. I saw Days of Future Past in the theater, and they get to that bit where it's like they've all died, and I was like, well, that's stinks <laughs> <laughs> like i kind of wanted to see. It, it it works for a story because like the draft going on but it's like as a as far as like ooh, i want to see where these go it's like that stinks man like i kind of wanted to see where some of these characters would be right. after this and yeah like havoc havoc sticking around it's i like havoc in here like he's I like that they don't try to make any cute references to Scott Summers. They just mm-hmm. kind of let him be his own character and yeah. do his own thing. Um, it's it's a little bit odd to me that like he keeps on teasing Hank about his feet, where I'm like you guys I mean they, they can tease each other, like it's not a problem. I'm I'm no prude, it's just like why? Like, what does that, what does that do? <laughs> like he, And then also, I like how Hank McCoy and Slash Beast is handled here as well, where he's like, he's just a guy who, who feels like he'll never be accepted. And so yeah. he's trying to fix himself with science. Like, that's a good... And then, like, they do one of my least favorite tropes, which is like, oh, he graduated MIT at 15. And I was like... Well, there's a guy who can move metal here, so okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the whole like you graduated expensive adult college at teen age thing only works if it's an exaggerated world for me.
0: Uh-huh. But yeah, I, I don't you, know. I I I like Nicholas Holt as an actor. I think he's yeah.
1: Yeah, he's, he's really I he, like he. you know, he's
0: pretty dependable generally. I don't, I didn't necessarily love Renfield, but I thought he he was really fun in it to watch. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it's weird the way that my thing with that character that's strange is that it just starts with the feet. And then he has this whole subplot with uh, the cure that he's developing, yeah. which feels like a, a, like, I don't know. It feels kind of a derivative of last stand to a degree. Uh, Cause again, we get a cure thing in there, yeah. obviously. And then the design of the character, when he turns, when he finally goes blue, it felt very Cats to me. (laughs) Now, looking back, I was like, oh, I don't like that. Um, He doesn't look great. And I don't know if it's just the design of the the makeup, that they were trying to make it clearer that it was Nicholas Holt in that, that it was just, I I don't know. I don't love the way that character looks. In I the next movie, they fix it pretty much. Oh, oh yeah, the, like, the, the, the whole Jekyll and one. Hyde thing where he's going back and forth is a little yeah.
1: I, you know, it's not what we am used to. I I like I really like the Jekyll and Hyde thing, but I will say that his his look in the films after this is more memorable to me. Definitely, because here I mean I think he looks fine here, but it kind of. It almost looks like they tried to make him look like a younger, much bushier, cuddlier version of what Kelsey Grammer looked like. Yeah. And it was like, wait, Kelsey Grammer has a completely different build and face than this kid. Right. Like, what, what are we... Like, it's not a big problem, but it is one of the things where it's like, I don't know his design was better in the other ones because we got to see more of it. I think it was a bit more refined and it just, it looked less. I mean, also are they putting, I think his voice in the next ones was better too. Yeah. Cause like the it's voice also, here, it sounds like he's like, like, like a, a
0: modulator. It's like, he's like a big, he's like a werewolf mixed with Hulk. Like he's kind of
1: Hulk-esque in this movie, which is strange. Yeah, that transformation I, I, scene. Well, one thing, um, I like, again, I dig the transformation, but yeah, like the, the way yeah. that he is, the way that he looks here, it looks very like we're going to sell a toy of this. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah, kids are going to love toys of this film where it's mostly people <laughs> talking about things they don't understand. Gosh. Oh, no. It, but yeah, it's just, but yeah, the whole thing is again, I admire how mature it is while still being able to be like a fun kind of funny thing to watch Mm -hmm. where you're like, all right, this is is like the light and optimistic X-Men film. Yeah. And then like at the, again, like how they handle Charles Xavier getting, losing his legs. I was like, that's, that's really sad. And both of them sell it really well. It's like it's Magneto's fault that he got that he lost him, and that mm-hmm. weighs on him in this. Like I don't think they call back to it in the other ones, but like it at least weighs no. on him in the in the moment here, and that's what matters. Like he realizes in this moment that his like he hurt the one man who he who he really cares about. And I don't know it could have been it would have been interesting to see them, like maybe Matthew Vaughn would have carried that through, like make him more complex is like I have my own agenda, but I also feel really bad about how I injured my friend permanently, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, it gives magneto pause, I think, where he's like, like, well, you know, he's he's not infallible essentially uh no. in in his methods and in his uh, maybe even in his philosophy to a degree, like it gives him a moment where he's like, wait a minute. And then, you know, he's, then he's off. uh, off, I mean, (laughs) yeah,
1: no, (laughs) it's a small moment, but it's a good one
0: for a movie that shows us the origins of that friendship. Like, which, like I said, is the, the base, you know, the baseline for everything in the X-Men franchise, getting that scene with the two of them, with the, um, where he reads his mind and he sees that that memory of him and his mother, yeah, and uh, you know he's t- telling him that like his unlocking his power is like in the place between rage and and serenity, and where mm-hmm. he turns the satellite dish, such a beautiful moment, and then to have it being completely subverted at the end with the the she didn't do this, Eric, you did, yeah. and, and having that friendship where they were like like it was it was Charles's last chance to really kind of. Turn he, Magneto off of the dark path that he had been on, and, and he it was just too
1: late. And and yeah, it's just again, it's just one of these like, I think this movie, like this movie and the Smallville TV show, confirmed for me that I love stories about like friends becoming enemies. Yeah, I think there's a lot you can play with with that being your story, and making this into that. Was a was a great move because it's a it's a story that we hadn't seen before. We'd heard like it had been established in passing that they were once close, but we didn't know anything else about it. And so seeing it play out here was like this is really nice. And also it works as a standalone movie. Like if you've never seen an X Men movie before, you can watch this and still get it.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a it's um, a great entry point for sure.
1: Yeah. Like and then and then again in regards to like. How it you were saying like it it recontextualized like other things in the franchise? I think this does a really good job of recontextualizing like why Mystique walks around with her blue skin all the time, like why she walks around essentially naked all the time. Mm-hmm. It makes I thought this made that it recontextualized that as something kind of beautiful of like this is her way of accepting all of herself. Exactly. Like I, I remember like even it, but even like early on even like in the early days before this people would make jokes about like why do we have this blue naked woman walking around the movie like right. why again my mom gave pause she was like wait what What? <laughs> what is this but it was like, but yeah like to to take an element as unintentionally goofy as that and make it into a character defining thing was a masterstroke
0: and in the even in this movie, both Charles and Hank are good guys. Both sort of reject her, or or like you know reject her her natural appearance. Where she uh, yeah. she's Raven says to Charles, like, "Would you Would you date me if I look like this?" She's like, oh, what are you talking about? Well, I, don't I don't know." Yeah, you're my back. sister.
1: What is this you're beautiful the sister. way you were before. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah it's it, something. Kind of, well, and I think it makes. <sighs> The scene where Hank does it, again, yeah. I, I get why he says that, and it makes sense. It's just it's so it's a good scene, like it needs to be there, but it's like right. you're just that's so awful. Like you'd think you would just, and it, in a way, he's sadly probably right, where it's like people, at least like not in, at this point in time people who look like them, who have weird feet or blue skin and who look like that probably wouldn't be as readily accepted as other mutants because they look different. So he's, so as right as he probably is, it's still a major blow to Raven that this guy that she's essentially put everything into is like, even he's did not, even he is kind of, even he doesn't want to fully accept who he is and who she is. Like he he views it as a curse, not something yeah. that they can that they should own.
0: And even viewing these movies all as as one consistent timeline, even though they're not consistent. Um, let's say at least the characters consistently. Um, in Last Stand, there's that moment where Beast gets goes enters the room where the little boy Leech is in there. Yeah. and his hand starts to go human and he's like rolls a oh. tear because he's like, thank you. You know, even then he, even as an adult, decades later, if we're, if we're putting these all he's, on the same track, he, he still hasn't yeah. accepted it really. Well, he's still part of him. like, I wish I could get rid of yeah.
1: this. Yeah. And again, like, yeah, like he's, yeah. And th- again, it's a nice thing and it's a nice beat to keep. And then I think, <sighs> I think in the other ones he's mostly accepted it to an extent. Like I I don't remember where his arc goes in the other ones, but at least for for this one, I thought it was a good I thought it was a good starting point for him. Like if you're Mm -hmm. if this is a new franchise, then this is a good arc for him to potentially have of like learning to accept himself. Like some people are gonna learn to accept themselves now, others will later.
0: Yeah. Everybody has Um, their own journey.
1: Yeah, every, everybody's. Yeah, you know, we don't know anything about him before we meet him in the laboratory. Like we don't learn anything about his past, and so we just have to go on what Holt gives us in his performance. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I I like the scene where they meet in the lab and Oliver plads into the team, and Charles is like, "Oh, another mutant is already here," and Hank is yeah. like. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> yeah. He just outed him as a mutant. Just, that's, that's what I thought. Yeah. like, Oh my God, he just outed him. That's, that's too, that's like, why would you again? Like he's, yeah. So again, taking the, the pair, that's probably like the closest parallel to anything. One well, of the closest parallels. So it's like you out somebody for being something. It's like, yeah, that that's basically what she just did.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, but yeah, it's... And then like... um, I'm trying to... Remember. Yeah, it's... See, it's, yeah, it's pretty... It's just interesting how this came out, how this was like the follow-up to Wolverine because it's so different from that movie <laughs> yeah. in every conceivable way say like, something beautiful came out of that like that course correction to get it back in good favor with like general audiences and the people who had stuck around through the rest of them
0: yeah part of me kind of almost wishes we had gotten more of those x-men origins films cuz i <laughs> like the idea of doing standalone stories on these do, on on too, these characters yeah. but it's also part of the magic of an X-Men movie is the ensemble and having that, those characters play off of each other. So even in, even in the, the, you know, the, the X-Men Origins Magneto film, it still would have been about his relationship and like his friendship with with Charles. With Charles. It
1: would have been that. I mean, yeah, like it would have been that, I mean, I feel like you can't, you can't do an origin movie about one of these guys without the other because of how, because of how integral they are to each other's lives in views and how they approach things. I mean, and that's the other thing, like as much as we talk about like Eric, it's like Charles, Charles and Eric represent the two extremes of this mutant argument. Where it's like Charles fully believes that we can coexist with them. And Eric believes it's impossible to where both of them are kind of wrong. Yeah. Yeah in like how just how far reaching they think things will go. It's like no Charles, like there will always be people who don't accept you. But Eric, not everyone is gonna like want to murder you right or track you down or any of that. And again like I think I wish it would I wish it would have been made like the moment when Moira come like collapses down and is trying to help Charles get up, I feel like that's a little bit of a missed opportunity to have Eric give pause again. That like he was a regular human being who is like who cares about a mutant person mm-hmm. and he kind of just brushes it off. Yeah. That's that a good could point. have been you know that could have been um again, like Part of this is because I think the characters isn't used and part of this is because I have a huge crush on Rose Byrne. But like Oh, yeah, don't be but like doesn't it? Like she doesn't She doesn't do a lot here. Yeah. And so having her be the representation of like the good side of humanity right. to give Eric more pause at the end right there, which I think it's trying to do, but doesn't it doesn't le- it doesn't it doesn't do that hard enough. Like, I think there, he gives her a look when she's on the beach. Yeah. but It's like, yeah, yeah. There need to be a, a bit long. There's a slightly longer hold on that because I think that's, again, I like the complexity they've given Eric here where he's not just, Oh, all humans are bad. It's like, no humans are bad because that's all I've known. Now I'm seeing, now I'm seeing a human, try to help my friend. I mean, you still can have him say like, I prefer my knee at the end, but it's like that little moment would have been a nice hint of, is there still good in him that Charles saw or is it God?
0: Right. Yeah. I think you get, instead they kind of give that, is there still good in her moment for mystique when she, we get this sort of uh, misdirect where she goes, you think she's going to Magneto, she goes to Charles, and Charles mm-hmm. is like, you know, go with him. It's what you want, kind of thing. Well, and so we think that she's on the villain side. And then as the movies go on, it gets a lot geez. more complicated from well, there. They, they but, turn,
1: well, they turned her into the mutant Jay.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like, I'm sorry, like that. That's all I could think of when Apocalypse came out, where I was like, man. You know, Jennifer Lawrence is the face of revolutions. Yeah. She is.
0: <laughs> what? She, she is. True. Mystique just has a gun instead of a, a bow and arrow. Um,
1: yeah. Like no, it's, and it's, also,
0: like, it's also the thing with the, the Beast, I think, that pisses me off now in, our, in retrospect is how these movies continually find ways for Jennifer Lawrence, who obviously was a huge star right after this, yeah, so I oh, get yes. it. And Nicholas Holt, why they're not in makeup ever? (laughs) Barely.
1: Oh, yeah. I noticed like so I noticed so I noticed in this, like here I think that it's kind of here I think that every time she's in or out of makeup is kind of purposeful. Where it's like, okay, she's either in public so she can't be, or it's to show that like she's not again to further her arc she's not fully comfortable of herself. And then basically in the entire third act, she looks, you know, how she naturally does, like she's blue. But yeah, after this movie, you can, and I would say, I would say like only in Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix can you see this, where Jennifer Lawrence was like, I want to be out of this makeup as much as possible. You will write me out of it and then like (laughs) Like, I'll come back for the next one but I'm dying
0: spoilers in the first 10 minutes uh, I'll get me out of here
1: well well, you get get to you get to Dark Phoenix and I was like that's like Party City makeup I mean it doesn't look bad it still looks good but it's like these look so much better Oh, yeah. because your actress doesn't want to be in the chair. and she. <laughs> Which, yeah. to her credit,
0: it sounds like she got, like, a big like, skin rash and everything from the makeup. So well, yeah, I like, get it, to a degree. Yeah. But, like, find yeah. a
1: better way to do it then, well, guys. It's like, so, like, you've had this entire movie. It's funny that, like, this entire movie is about her embrace, the character embracing yeah. her blue skin and how she looks. And Jennifer Lawrence is like, uh, nope. No, thank you. She, she, my skin Raven's, is not
0: blue. I embrace my ra- own
1: skin. Ra- Raven's embracing that. I'm not, <laughs> I have I'm, a not rash. My, I'm not my character. I yeah, have exactly. Ra- I'm not method acting this, you guys.
0: I'm, st- I mean, they, they find ways around it. I think in some, yeah, they these, do. Like, like Days of Future Past, I think there's, there's an argument yeah. for why, yeah, she doesn't look right, like that. Um, I
1: don't like daily future fast. I don't have a problem with her being out of makeup when she is like it's it makes sense when she's in and out, but yeah, it's like you get to a it's when you get to apocalypse where you're like, wait, she's the the face of the mutant revolution and yet she still can't just look like herself. Oh, that's (laughs) that. So the the face of the mutant revolution is afraid to look like a mutant, huh? Interesting, Uh, interesting character decision there. I
0: I appreciate their, their commitment to sticking with the practical makeup though, because oh, yeah, they could have just tried to do CG it up or oh, something like what they do with Emma Frost with the diamond skin, which the and visual the, effects in this movie diamonds. mostly look good, but there's yeah. some moments where I'm like, that, that's I a think, little sketch.
1: I think that like, I think they look good pretty much all the time. Like there's might be like, there's like, one green screen shot where it's Kevin Bacon in front of an explosion. Yeah. Where you're like, wait, I mean, it looks good, but it's like, if you're film savvy, you know, like that's, that's a screen behind him. Right. And then like the way that Emma Frost skin looks, it's like, it's the weirdest looking thing in the movie.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: Like she, she looks like the ice queen or something like, wait, it's way like the Iceman effect in x-men 3 looks it's better pretty than this. much
0: yeah it's pretty <laughs> much it does
1: <laughs> like why didn't you just use that effect and paint it white?
0: because I think did what they not? did is they 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 have they have January Jones's like lips and and eyes shine through and so it has this yeah. really strange effect where thing, it, it's
1: got of it has a very weird look too I mean it looks fine, like it doesn't look like anything else in the movie. We don't see anything right. anyone else who looks like that. And then too, um yeah, I love the practical makeup. It just practical makeup always looks better to me. I agree. Like look, it looks they're physically in it. Like I know it's tough for the actors, but it it, it makes the world feel more real to the to have these actors in it. And again, like the Azazel in his red makeup and teleporting everywhere, like even he looks good. Close up and from a distance, like this movie. If anything, is a testament to like why practical effects are a good thing or can be a good thing. And like, I guess like if I had to complain about CGI, I would say like Havoc's beams are inconsistent a little bit. Yeah, like like you can almost yeah they're a little inconsistent with like how they flow. And, uh, like you can almost imagine the actor just like swirling his arms around. <laughs> no, Nothing. I
0: made that comment when I was re watching it. Like, all these people must have felt so silly. Like, even Fastbender, he's just oh. like standing there, like really straining and then waving an arm around. And it's like, yeah, like, he mean, looks over at Matthew Vaughn. He's like, this is gonna look cool, right? You promise? <laughs>
1: <laughs> when it's done, it's gonna look, yeah. cool, it's gonna look badass. Yeah. All right. Yeah, like he's, it's almost like there are certain points where he's like putting his hand out where he looks constipated. Yeah. It's like, Oh, can to move the thing? It's like again, like it's it's yeah, like filming a superhero movie in general must be so must feel so silly because I know. you're like I have to pretend that there's like a a blast beam coming out of my chest, yeah, and I have to pretend that I'm like moving metal with my hand, but nothing's happening in front of me. <laughs> I mean, oh god it's just I mean so and again like Eddie Gafegi where it's like alright put your head in this in this fish tank
0: yeah pretend you have gills now <laughs>
1: <It's> like, <laughs> Wait, how do what? I do that how do I pretend uh, I have
0: gills like, how do I do that just look very that? relaxed, just like, you very can relaxed. Breathe, like, okay but I can't you know
1: I can't right Um, um just, just, just do it yeah. I mean But yeah, this is like, yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. I think this is what the franchise needed at this point. Just kind of a stripped off back to basics character piece story with some nifty action thrown in. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: it's it, it. I mean, it was well, way well received, way better received, I should say. Then uh, the last two, like this is like yeah, well, it was the it's what, it, I agree with you. It's what it needed,
1: yeah. Well, and the thing is, like for me, it was like yeah, like, for me it was kind of like the first X Men movie I saw in theaters was Origins, which fourteen year old me loved because it's this Hugh Jackman slashing yeah. dudes. And the thing like fourteen year old me was so confident in that in how good X Men Origins was that he and like he he invited a friend over to like show her how awesome this movie was and then was confused when she sat there being like this is so boring and repetitive and it was I think it was at that point where she was like, eh I don't like it. I'm like, yeah, this is actually kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> but or not very good. But it's like, you know, this one this X Men First Class made my best of the year list in twenty eleven. And I still think it deserves to. I think it deserves that spot. I don't remember where I would rank it on the list, but like it was on my best of year list, and I didn't expect yeah. it to be. no, no, I, I, it's one of
0: those kind of like Rise of the Planet of the Apes that everybody's oh, yeah. like, that, "Well, that this franchise on, is on, on its on way well, down," right?
1: That that was on there too, actually. Same like, year, was, yeah. Like like X Men: First Class. I distinctly remember. I distinctly remember seeing the trailers for this and doing like. That's not Professor X, that's not Magneto. Who are these pos who are these posers pretending to be? And then we <laughs> get to that first scene. We get to that we get to that like first scene where Michael Fassbender is like rotating the coin in his bedroom. And I'm like, okay, I'm sold on him. And then we get to the scene of Charles Xavier charming the girl in the bar. I'm like, okay, I'm sold on him. Yeah. Like it's it's immediate. Like these guys are perfect in these roles.
0: I think this, the, the score by Henry Jackman too, does oh. a lot. It, it brings oh, yeah. so much to this. He got the, the X-Men like team theme, the, the, like we were yeah. saying earlier, the Frankenstein is monster, the, uh, that yeah, track like on the, on the, the score, all the, all the Magneto stuff is
1: like, great. All yeah, the, it's Ma- all of the music. That's the other thing. Like I was actually like jamming out to this earlier, like they've got nice. a, they've got like a six and a half minute, like super cut of the theme song on YouTube. Like I just, I just turn that on to pump myself up sometimes because of how awesome it is. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think the music, like they've scored some really good scores for this series. Like, but this one, again, this one in particular is the most fun. It's the most optimistic. It's the most like wham, bow, powers are amazing. Like it just makes you feel good. Yeah. Or tragic when it needs to like the, again, like a little bit the about Ma- the- <laughs> they play the magneto theme i think more than any other bit of music in here and every time it's used it's used really well where you're like you, know, you associate it with him like it's it's angry and moody just like the character it accompanies it's yeah it's a really great bit um yeah and again like the you know the, the hero theme You realize it most like when they're in the montage, like Charles is training them. Like it's just a really good team theme. Like we're coming together. We're going out to. We're going out to make the world a better place. Kind of like it just all the music just works.
0: Yeah, it sure does. And the the other thing about this movie that as we were sort of alluded to that, that uh, sets it apart from its predecessors is that this now in 1962, which is where most of this movie is set, creates a world where mutants are known and, and the government is like, you know, on top of it, not to the degree that they (laughs) will be in the next movie, but like there's a much longer history where, as opposed to the original X-Men movie where it's, let's just say it's set when it was released 2000, 2000. Yeah. And they're like, B- believe us, man. Mutants are real. They're out there. And I'm like <laughs> <laughs> and in this movie, they're like, "Yeah, we've known for like four decades." <laughs> we got you. Oh, well, I don't um, like, like.
1: I gotta wonder if like little baby Senator Kelly is watching all of this play out on television. Like that would have yeah. that would have been a, a fun little bit. Like to see like eight year old Senator Kelly with like yeah. with horn rim glasses on, like Bruce Davidson has in the in the original. It's like mutants are. Bad, like, or just some, or not? There's like something to that effect. Because well, there's like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I mean, cause like, cause when I got when I got older, like that first scene with Sandra Kelly in the in the Senate hearing thing in the first movie, where he's like, "We don't want our kids being taught by mutants." It's like you are passionate about this. Like, mm-hmm. have you ever actually met one, or you do, or do you just hate them? all which is why his arc in that movie is kind of satisfying what ends up going on it's like yeah How does it feel now (laughs) um but yeah it's but yeah it is nice to it is funny to think about like the government directly just sat on this for 40 years (laughs) until 2000 when they're suddenly like oh wait Mutants are a thing. We should probably tell people, but we don't yeah. want to look bad, so we're going to make them look bad. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of
0: on on a related note. There's a line of di- of dialogue that I don't even know if I 100 percent picked up on before. That one of those government officials in that you know in the war room uh-huh. or whatever that is is Striker's father. Yeah, I know, which I thought was interesting. I,
1: I noticed that too. Where, where it's like, oh, oh, your son William, and you're like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, uh huh, that's gonna go super well for you guys in about <laughs> four decades. William being around and oh, he'll be he's played not gonna cause su- any trouble. And, and, and the other thing about the other funny thing about the timeline of this is like, so in Day of the Future Past, we have Peter Dinklage playing Trask.
0: Yeah, I know. He was, he know. was very
1: distinctive. And then Trasky appears in X-Men 3 and he's a tall black man. You're like, oh um, yeah. wait. How Bill Duke
0: and uh and Peter Dinklage do not <laughs> resemble each other in the no. Slightly. slightly. No. In fact, I think Bill Duke is particularly like he's pretty tall also. Yeah, uh, he's in very addition tall. Yeah, he's like, like, he's six looked,
1: four. Yeah. like he's he's a built guy. And so like yeah. so when I saw X-Men David I'm like, wait. Why do I know the name trask vaguely like I've read right. it before? And then I went back my X and was like, Oh, this doesn't make any sense. Well and, and that's Well and that's why it's <laughs>
0: it's funny that Days of Future Past, retcons last stand and X-Men Origins basically never happened. Which uh, is hilarious I mean, to me. They're just like, hey, we're gonna I mean, clean up a little bit.
1: Well, I mean, I, I get it I get why you would do that, but it it yeah. is just Bunny is a longtime fan like if you're paying oh, for attention sure. like we've got like three different strikers and two different trasks, and they don't look alike at all like the kid who plays william striker in the next movie does not look like he could grow up into brian cox ever not at all no um and then like i don't know they just again as much as i make fun of this I kind of love it about this franchise that it's not obsessed with making sure all the ducks line up in a yeah. row. It's just, it, it's, it kind of, I think of this series, I I don't, I don't read comic books, but I know a little bit about them where you've got, you've got like different writers working on these characters at various points in history and everybody brings something different to them. Like basic things are going to carry over, but other details might not. And in that sense, I think that the X-Men film series represent, it's most representative of what comic books can be like, where every director brings his vision to what this world feels like and who these characters are and how they act.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I was going to ask you, I was just about to ask you about the legacy of this franchise. I think oh. you just answered it. Um, oh, yeah. It, it is. It's, it's, it's very unique in that way. And it's, it's part of why I, I wanted to do it on this podcast. I'm not doing the MCU or the DCEU for the foreseeable future. <laughs> oh. One, because I'm exhausted. And two, <laughs> and, and two, like I, I, there's enough content out there on those guys. I don't, I don't think they need more. I don't think well, they need you don't, any you, more you attention. Don't, you don't, the
1: discourse you, is. You, you, you don't need the five thousands podcast and why the flash <laughs> is just in the middle somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, uh, but yeah, but yeah, I guess like, and also like also adding to the legacy of it, like the, this is one of the big three that kind of the first X-Men is one of the big three that kind of kicked off the whole thing. Sure. Like, you know, X-Men and Spider-Man were pretty close. And then I, I placed blade as being one of the things that kicked it off. Like, I know it was, I know it's very different from the other two, like very, very, very different. I, I watched it recently. I'm like, we would never make this under the Marvel label today. But it's like, or maybe we would. like there are certain things in Blade that have held up pretty well over time and others that haven't. But like, I think these three were instrumental in like getting people interested in superheroes outside of the fandom. And X-Men in particular, I think kind of was important at every turn. Well, maybe not as much later. Like we get to like Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix where it's like, comic books are everywhere but at least like in the early goings of it it's probably like probably the first one through this one i would say the x-men movies were kind of like the the secret theme of the crop of like all right so these are the comic book movies that are made for older audiences or older fans not as much younger kids like spider-man and nothing wrong with spider-man i love them Right, but like these are more mature than the Spider Man than the same many movie Spider Man movies are. They're mature too, but they're much, much, much campier. Right, Whereas the, these are more like these are more character dramas. While Spider Man is like soap opera, comic book action, can't be fun with darker elements. That's it, how this, it's like. Yeah. You know, I was going to say, it's like a,
0: it, like you were saying, it's basically, it was kind of a three-step process from 98 to 2002. It's like Blade proved that a film based on Marvel Comics could be successful... Because uh, it was, I think, before that theatrically, Howard the Done. Duck, and that's it. Oh. Um, so <laughs> I, Blade proved that yeah. Marvel could be oh. a, could could play in Hollywood. First of mm-hmm. all, X Men proved that there those movies could be about something, and then Spider Man yeah. made it a, made them accessible to everyone. Well, and so y- now, yeah. you kind of have all those avenues open to them.
1: Well, yeah, and I think that, and as far as like, so I know that the X Men are entering the MCU. sometime in the future we don't know when at this point but they're coming and to be very honest with you i'm a bit uncertain i'm not entirely comfortable with the modern mcu playing around with these characters because outside of the black panther movies the mcu does not really play in adult themes all that much They're very like family friendly. They're very like family oriented. Like you can take your eight year old to it, you know, kind of films. And there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But when you're when you're talking about the X Men, which have a lot of meaning subtextually and on screen before, where it's like, no, these movies were big boys. Like they were actually trying to be about prejudice and oppression and like things that other comic book movies weren't really touching at the time, you have a responsibility to continue that legacy on screen. So what I, what I don't want is a bunch of little jokes like, you know, Wolverine giving the middle claw to somebody (laughs) or, you know, what did you expect? Yellow spandex. or like, I don't, I don't want it to be a bunch of little jokes like that. It's like, we've had these movies for, almost 30 years. People are on board with comic books. Now you don't need to make fun of how ridiculous they are anymore. I think if you just tell a really good story with well-realized characters, people will be on board with anything.
0: It's also funny that you bring that up too, because I would say if they're going to take cues from any of the previous X-Men movies, this is the one to yeah, do sort this. Of like, look at, like do, Take a lot of your inspiration from this tone, this, yeah, this you know, tone, this yeah. style of performance. This like maybe even like the the coolest thing would be Kevin Feige says, "Hey Matthew Vaughn, we want to bring that back, back. Yeah. to you. Come we, back. We, we, yeah. we want you to reboot the
1: X Men again. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> like like, I the, mean, just, like yeah, be like let be like, like be like the Martin Campbell to James Bond of this franchise. It's exactly. Like every time. And again, Matthew Vaughn." Yeah, I think Matthew Vaughn would be a perfect guy to, like, shepherd in a tone of the X-Men for the MCU because, again, like, him and his writing partner, Jane Goldman, they're pretty funny writers. Like, they know how to insert humor and character into a story without it overpowering anything. Like, know like, Kingdom Men is a really funny movie that's also about something. Right. Where you're like, okay, this is a fun action movie that has something on its mind. If they, if he can do this for the X Men again and be given more than eight months, exactly, you know, and say like if this is what you do in eight months, I'd love to see what you do in like two years, with, where you could formulate the story out yourself. Um, but yeah, I think I'd love, I never even considered that. I would love to see him, you know, I would love to see him be the guy to bring this in. If he was doing it, I'd be much more confident, right. I'm or, sure there's a
0: lot of cool people that they could bring to that,
1: yeah. or, or you know, yeah, exactly. Chloe Zhao. If Chloe Zhao's not busy, she could. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be honest.
0: Uh, this, <laughs> I'm, I'm no bullshit. I thought yeah. of that, but I was not brave enough to say it because no. a lot of people <laughs> don't love Eternals, and, and I, I don't, kind of feel like that's the closest the MCU's come to an well, X Men
1: movie. And that, and the thing, like, I don't adore Eternals. I thought it was above average because it's like okay. Yeah. There are too many characters here, but at least you're trying to be about interesting things. Yep. It's a very like, ambitious for the MCU it's, at this it's point. Very to amb- like I think it's the most ambitious thing yeah. they've done. Cause like there's no connections to any of the characters. It's all very director driven and weird sci-fi from yeah. the like, word go. I mean, I don't know how a Chloe Zhao X-Men movie would look. But if, but yeah, I, I would go with Matthew Vaughn because he's done it before and done it mm-hmm. in a way that most people respond to well. While Eternals was very, it was kind of like, people liked it, but it wasn't widely loved. So I don't think right. they're going to take, I don't think they're going to take that risk again of giving her exactly another franchise. Like she might come back for Eternals too. She might not. I'd be surprised if they said, we liked what you did with the channels and how it was a C. Please come with us. Mm-hmm. please come on to our other weirdo mutant team about the ensemble yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: you can and only have at,
1: six people.
0: Looking at the directors that have worked in this franchise, uh, I don't think any of them would be asked back except for Matthew Vaughn. Or James Mangold, but he's he's got James a lot Mangold, of other things going
1: James, on. James James Mangold hops around from day <laughs> to day yeah. so much. Like I, mean, I remember, like I saw Kate and Leopold for the first time about two years ago, and I was just amazed. Like this man is going to direct the man who's talking about savory butter and Logan in fifteen years. <laughs> what do I can't believe I'm seeing this? I mean, it's just he, I think he just. He just jumps from everything. Like he'll do small stuff, big stuff. I don't Th- know if he'd want to do another superhero thing, though. I don't.
0: Think, I don't know if he would either. The only thing that would make me excited for James Mangold is that you know he would have a contract that was like ironclad. I was like, I want it to be this rating. I want to have final cut. Cause he's not oh, messing yeah. after the Wolverine came out and wasn't exactly what he wanted it to be. Uh, that's uh, how he was able to be like, okay. you and I will come back, but we're going R rated. Wait, boy, yeah.
1: wait, he didn't, really wait, over the he, top. wait, he, he didn't want the goofy ass ending that that movie has. <laughs> that wasn't in James man. I know. Own, shocking. Right? Fiction. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, I was, I rewatched the Wolverine about six months ago and I was like, for two thirds, I'm like, wow, this is actually a pretty solid like, character <laughs> drama <know>. and political <laughs> corporate thriller. We've never seen Oh, and now Wolverine's doing this. Oh, yeah. my God. Okay, that's why this isn't the beloved film that it... Uh, yeah. I, I wanted more Yukio after that. <laughs> like, yeah, me too. Did she just go away? <laughs> like, what happened to that actress, even? Like, did she just vanish? <laughs> There's a. I have a long list
0: of characters that I'd love to see pop up randomly in Deadpool three, since it's our last oh chance to see any of these people God. again. Oh that would God. be cool if Yukio's just like, "Hey, I'm here too," and we're like, "Hey, well, all right, cool." Yeah, I mean,
1: it's like, it's like it's like every other day it seems they're announcing X person to be in Deadpool three. So, I'm but like, if you're
0: gonna throw everything at the at the fan, this is the movie to do it. Like,
1: like yeah, give right. us Jennifer Garner yeah. as Electra. whatever. Let's go. <laughs> Feel like i'm probably the one guy that's excited to see ben affleck as daredevil again yeah <laughs> like yeah like again that was another one that i grew up on so i have a lot of nostalgia for it but yeah, like no
0: I, yeah, I i i like the the theatrical cut as a guilty pleasure of of sorts i, I like the, the director's cut i think is actually pretty solid yeah i
1: overall. think yeah i think that i think the direct the director's cut is the one i have it's a. I i yeah. think it's a pretty it's a pretty solid movie like I think if the director's could had gone to theaters, we would have gotten a much better *Daredevil* too. Definitely. Like it's a, I think it's a good foundation to build upon with maybe another director who's more familiar with like, how do we translate this? How do we translate this to make it? Just improve it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Take you know, what works. Yeah, build on it. Yeah, but yeah, I, but yeah, the first, yeah, first class was. Yeah, X Men First Class is one of those movies where it, it completely blew past all the expectations that I had. You know, two actors playing roles that I associated with other people forever. You know, a a prequel thing of like I know how this relationship ends. Why would I want to watch it play out ever? Like, what's the point of it? And it was like, oh wow, an X Men movie where I'm actually smiling through a lot of it. That's, yeah, that's the first time that's happened.
0: So that being said, where does, what are like your, because there's 10 of these movies we're covering. Oh, not, not everything but the Deadpools the and Deadpool. the New Mutants, because that's, that's their, they're their own thing. <laughs> well, well, um, what, what is the <laughs> Doesn't exist. That's I not a saw, real
1: thing. I I saw that in theaters, and I kind of regret that I did that.
0: <laughs> I, I saw it in a, at a drive-in during the <laughs> pandemic, and I was like, "Well, yeah. might as well." I miss movies, well, so
1: well. And then like, I think that's why I was, I was like, "I miss movies." This is an X Men movie. Let's right. go! And is I was it, like, "Is it though?" It no. <laughs> it it might have been at one point, but it wasn't in the finished cut that we saw. No, not um, at all. But yeah, my my top three. So by the ratings, so like putting Logan aside, which I I kind of view that as as its own kind of story because it's sure it's only him and Professor X. Like the other X Men are, I'll be kind and say not there. It's like I would say my top three would probably be um, Days of the Future Past, which I didn't I had forgotten how much I loved that one mm-hmm. last until last time I watched it. And then this one, and then X two, those yeah. would be my top three because I think, yeah, I think those are all very like, they're all very confident in what they want to be, very much like. All right, we have a story to tell. We know how we're going to attack these ideas in that story, and we're going to give you a good like action movie in the middle of that. Um, yeah, those, those three seem to be
0: three. seem to be everybody's kind of like. They they are universally, I would say, near universally, the the three that everybody gravitates back towards. I think that that's
1: well, yeah. I mean, I like, I mean, and I I like, I like all of the. Well, again, only counting the ten mainline ones. Right. I like, I like all of the X Men movies for different re- Like I can find something to like, sure. X Men. like even X-Men yeah. origins. I'm like, look, it's a Steven Seagal directed DVD movie was Wolverine. That's what <laughs> that movie is to me. Leave Schreiber's having a ball. Let's, Leeds, let's put it man, there. The, <laughs> he's that was going the first for time, it. That was the first time I saw leave Schreiber in anything. And I yeah. was like, this dude is awesome. Like, I, and then like, I like leave Schreiber a lot. I think he's kind of a, I think he's kind of an underappreciated talent a bit. Like he's, I wish he was in more stuff because then he pops yeah. in. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. You're here.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, um, yeah, I, I think it, it's definitely, I'm excited to talk about the rest of these movies. Uh, it's, it's, there's, it's definitely one of a kind franchise, as we sort of restated again and again. But um, this was a blast, Kevin. I'm so <laughs> glad we were able to make this happen. And, and we both true. obviously have a mutual appreciation for the X Men and this film in particular. Uh, So thank you so much for coming on. Tell people where they can find you on social media.
1: All right. You can find me. uh, I'm Kevin, the critic. You can find me on Facebook. Twitter is at Kevin underscore the critic. And then Instagram is just Kevin, the critic, all one word. Uh, You know, I, I have a film review blog, which I haven't posted to in a while, just because of like, I've been kind of busy and, to be honest, a lot of the movies that have been coming out haven't, they have, so many of them are blockbusters where I'm like, I don't know what to say about a lot of these. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, look, I, I, I have things to say, but it's like, I don't know, I wasn't exactly inspired to post a review of Indiana Jones 5 when I saw right. it. I was like, I liked it, but I don't have anything to say about it other than like, yeah. that was that was fun. Like, I'm kind of, I think I'm kind of getting to a point now. It's like when I write a review of something, I want it to be of like, Oh wow, this is something that you should, either this is really bad or you should go out to see this in a theater. Like this is worth shelling out the money to go and see. Like I'm going to, like I'm definitely going to go see the Barbie and Oppenheimer things. Yeah. Cause those are like the big deals of the year. Right. But it's like, yeah, like, I haven't posted. So, like, so this is a long one way to say, if you go to my site and you see that Book Club 2, the next chapter from two months ago, is the most recent <laughs> thing, I'm sorry. That was, like, an on-the-whim thing, and I reviewed the first movie when it came out, so I was like, why not? I'll just review this one as a quickie. But, yeah, you can check out all my film reviews on kevinthecreate.com, as well as links to my social medias.
0: Awesome. Yeah, no, I agree with you. A lot of the a lot of the blockbusters have been sort of fine, like solid three stars. Like we were like we were saying uh, before we recorded, like the Flash. Like it's oh my like it's fine. Eh, was like the definition.
1: It's a movie. It's
0: a movie. It wasn't, was the definition.
1: It was the definition of a three star movie. Like yeah, yeah. it's fine. Like there were people saying it was awful. I was like, no, this is this is competent. Like this is not to me. It's not a bad movie. I'm just like. It's fine, like right. You get you get to see him flash around, and the story's okay, and the acting's all right. You get some Keaton. You get you get get some Super Keaton, girl, You get. Who super I hope girl. they keep around. Oh God, the uh, the actress wants to stay around. Sasha Callie, or Kaye wants yeah. to stay around. She wants to stay around desperately to yeah. play. It. And I'm like, I Let's hope they let her because i was like, I was like. Can I go back in time and make it so that she plays Henry Cavill's Superman in Man of Steel? <laughs> <laughs> because I think she could sell that better. Yeah. I would love to see a Man of Steel kind of movie where she... You know, going through the same thing of, like, because of how a character is set up, of, like, do I save these people or do I not? I feel like there's more meat to chew on with her right. going through that arc. Because of how they characterized her in that movie,
0: but yeah, yeah. if
1: we never get to see her again, I'm happy that we got her for a little bit. Same,
0: same. Well, awesome, my friend. This was great. We'll definitely, uh, we'll definitely get you back on here at some point.
1: Thank you. It's it's always it's, a, it's been a pleasure.
0: Big thanks to Kevin the critic for coming on to discuss 2011's X Men: First Class. A Really interesting film that I think a lot of people didn't see coming sort of reinvented the franchise at a time where it really needed it after uh, the reception to X-Men Origins Wolverine and all that as we got into so I want to know where do you rank X-Men first class is this your favorite X-Men movie as it is for more and more people I'm discovering. Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table. The same handle on Instagram via email at robert at crookettable.com. For now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. We'll be back next episode. Swerving back to another Wolverine movie with 2013's The Wolverine. Catch you at the next stop, everyone.